um, the last words of Jesus. And what we have here is really the context of what's going on with this is uh, Jesus has been led to the place where he's going to be crucified. He has been placed upon the cross. He has been raised up on the cross. The soldiers are dividing his garments. They're casting lots for his garments. And we enter into this passage within that context. And says in verse 25, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary of, Cla- Mary of Cla- Clapas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold your son. And he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. And from, that hour, and from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. So really want to know what, what does this mean? Why did Jesus say this? What really is going on? And I think you have to start with the, the, the merry fiasco of what's going on here. How, who are all these people that are there? And I want to start there this morning. And says, standing by the cross was, was Jesus' mother. And his mother's sister. So who is Jesus' mother's sister? And what we can do is, we, if we had time, we can jump all over the place to try to unpack this. But anyone jot down beside in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 27, verse 56. It says the depiction of who's there. And it says that Mary's there and also the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now, the sons of Zebedee were James the Greater and John. We understand that John is the apostle that has written this gospel. And James is also the James the Greater, another one of the twelve. So, amazingly, we can know that not only is Mary the mother of Jesus there, but also Mary's sister, who was the wife of Zebedee, who gave birth to James and John. Which would make the apostle James and the apostle John Jesus' cousins. So this is basically Jesus' mother and Jesus' auntie who was there. And then it says, Mary, the wife of Klapos, right? And Klapos is really the only real other uh, depiction of this guy. And again, it's, it's argued by theologians. Is this the same Klapos that was journeying in the Gospel of Luke 24 to, uh, on the seven miles from Jerusalem on the way to Amenus, Amen. Amaos, that's the word I'm looking for. So is this who this is the wife of? And also we can understand from different passages in the Gospel of Mark that this was the mother of another James and Joseph. And this was James the Lesser. So you have a lot of different Marys going on. You have a lot of Jameses going on. And you have a lot of depiction going on here of who's actually here. And then you have another Mary, which is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was the Mary who had the seven demons cast out of her. We can read about her throughout the Gospels as well. She's also at the tomb whenever Jesus has risen and the stone has been rolled away. So what's going on there is, again, we have Mary, who is Jesus' mother. Now, we also know that Jesus had brothers. Jesus had four brothers. He had a brother called James, just to confuse us even more. He had a brother called Joseph. He had a brother called Judas. And he had a brother called Simon. So you have Mary, who has a son called James, Joseph, and Judas and Simon. You have another Mary, who is Mary's sister, who is the mother of James the Greater, and of John, and you have another Mary who is the mother of James the Lesser and of Joseph. 
So very quickly you can start to get confused as to what's going on here. And to unpack that, if we had time today, we could go into the other Gospels. And really, as I said, through the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark, it names these people as such. So that's what's going on at the foot of the cross. You have Mary, the mother of Jesus, her sister who is there, and also another woman who is the mother of James the Lesser and Joseph. Okay? So what does that mean? Why are these people here and why are not other people there? For example, if Jesus is going to the cross, why isn't his four brothers there? Why is there no listing here of James, his brother, Joseph, his brother, Judas, his brother, or Simon? Because we do know that James, his brother, wrote the book of James. It wasn't James the Greater, it wasn't James the Lesser, it was Jesus' half-brother, so to speak, James. So make sure you're tracking with me here, because I said there's a lot of Jameses, there's a lot of Marys. But why are, are his brothers not there? And how do we know that he definitely had brothers? If you're from a Catholic background, we're told that Mary was a virgin all her life, that there was no brothers, and that the term brother simply means that they were born again, the way we use brother or sister in the church. So how do we know for sure that Jesus actually had brothers? And that's where I want to start. So if you turn with me to the Gospel of of, uh, Matthew in chapter 13. Thirteen, I believe it's 53. And we have uh, Jesus coming to Nazareth. Matthew 13, verse 53. And says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue, so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get his wisdom and and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So if you're from a Catholic background, if you go to a Catholic church, if you're not born again and you never thought that Mary had any other sons, there's a passage of scripture, one of many, that expounds the fact that Jesus did have brothers and did have sisters. Scholars believe that he had three sisters. We understand if we went to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, it said that Mary did not know Joseph, as in she did not have a physical relationship with Joseph until after Jesus' birth. Why was Joseph not at the cross? Surely the, the father of, or the adoptive father of Jesus Christ would be at the cross. Again, we believe that Joseph at this stage was dead. But we do see that Jesus had brothers. So therefore, why were these brothers not at the cross? Why is Jesus speaking to John, his cousin, telling John, this is your mother, and telling his mother, woman, this is your son? And I think to answer that, that we have to figure out why Jesus' brothers weren't there. So again, if you turn with me to, stay in Matthew, if we turn to, uh, let me see, in fact, we'll go to the Gospel of John. God, uh, back to the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 4. And it says in John 7, verse 4, For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. 
If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So Jesus' brothers aren't there because Jesus' brothers don't believe at this stage. Jesus' brothers do not believe he's the Messiah. Jesus' brothers probably do not believe that Mary had a birth through the Holy Spirit. They want nothing to do with him and they are not at the cross because they do not believe in him or about his miracles or anything else. It was after Jesus had been risen and had appeared to James and to his brothers that they actually believed. So at this stage, at the cross, why is Mary there without her sons? Because her sons think that everything about Jesus is a lie. The sons think that everything that Mary stands for with regards to the shame that she brought onto the family is a lie. We looked at it at Christmas time whenever we, we debunked the things of Christmas. When we looked at the innkeeper and how at every single play that you go to you see Mary coming in to Bethlehem on a donkey. Yet scripture doesn't mention it. And the word for inn is actually better translated as guest house. And how the reason why Mary and Joseph were traveling back to Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus was because of the consensus and that they had to be registered and that they would have went back to Joseph's home. And there was no room for Joseph's bride who was pregnant. Why? Because it was shameful. Why? Because they didn't believe in what was said by Mary and Joseph. Do you know what she was in their their eyes? She was nothing more than a common whore. To lie. Nowhere in scripture have we ever seen anybody given a miraculous birth without a man. Are you really wanting us to believe, Mary and Joseph, that God would pick you, an uneducated 13 or 14 year old girl who can't even read, to be the chosen one to bring forth the Messiah. And then that God would actually do it in a means that's never been done before and that you are pregnant because you have slept with somebody outside of the marital covenant and the Old Testament says you should be stoned. But for some reason, your husband, allegedly Joseph, was visited by an angel and therefore he was told to marry you. Yeah, right. Get out of our house, Joseph, with your wife and everything about you. Do not bring shame or condemnation upon our home. There's a stable out the back. Away you go. Things didn't get much better for Mary, apparently, as she went on. Because for 30 years, what did Jesus do? What do we read about that Jesus did for 30 years? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We get a tidbit of Jesus whenever he's in his early teens going to the temple and and staying there all day long and calling it his father's house. We read nothing of miracles. We read nothing of anything going on of any significance. And how Jesus was keeping his messiahship hidden. We even read that through the gospels how he continually told people, don't tell anybody what I have done. So for Jesus' brothers, they've looked at Jesus and yes, he may have been a perfect child, a sinless child. But in their eyes, mama's boy, mama's favorite, never falls short, never lets down mom, never lets down dad. In fact, there might be a little bit of of a Joseph spirit upon the rest of them that they would maybe have liked to have seen him thrown into a pit. We can assume, rightly or wrongly, but we know that they're not at the crucifixion. Because nowhere are they mentioned. We know that they're not believers. We know that it was even Mary and the brothers that came to Jesus as he was teaching and said come out because of the radical things that he was teaching. And Jesus says in the the gospel of Luke, 
whenever he's told your mother and your brothers are outside, he says, my mother and my brothers are those who do my work. So therefore, what does it mean whenever we think about Mary? In fact, how did Mary get this faith? How did she get this revelation? And we'll look at it if we turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 38. Mary is visited by the archangel Gabriel. And she says, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to, you, according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She was told you're going to conceive a son of the Holy Spirit. She was told that he's going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the people. She was told all the things that were going to happen. And she at this stage says, let it be done. All the words that you've said, let it be done. She's 13, she's 14. She's uneducated. She knows that if she conceives a baby, that everyone will know. She'll not be able to hide it. She'll not be able to try to disguise it. She knows that her husband, Joseph, will leave her, more than likely. She knows that she could be stoned. She knows that she can be put to death. She knows that she can have a horrific death through stoning. And yet, what does she say? Everything that you say, let it be so. I don't care what the consequences are. I don't care if I'm ostracized from my family. I don't care if I lose my husband. I believe your word to be true. And I believe in the gospel that's going to come forth. I believe in the work of the Lord. And I believe in his way. Because his way is higher than my way. So what she does from the initial, she puts her marriage on the line. An amazing testimony to her belief and her faith in God's way. So often we are told today, simply believe the gospel, simply believe God's way. But yet, don't worry about what it's going to cost you. Don't worry about the fact that you may lose your husband, you may lose your wife. Because there is people today in parts of the world that if they believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be stoned. Predominantly in Muslim faith. There's people who are meeting today that have metal detectors at the doorway. Why? Because even the fact that you are confessing Christian means that there is people in the world that want to come in to congregations like ours and blow us to pieces. That's a reality. And yet we read God's word and we think about the costing and ask yourself, do you love Jesus Christ more than your husband or than your wife? Because Jesus said that it has to be so. If you do not love me more than your husband or wife, you're not fit to be my disciple. Mary, from the beginning here, haven't seen the cross, haven't seen the resurrection, haven't seen the, the abounding grace that's going to come through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. She simply hears the word of God and she says, no matter what the consequences, do it. I'm there, I'm in. And then she lives a life of loneliness. We read also, if we had time, we've looked at it at Christmas time, whenever she is in that more likely a cave, as a stable, amongst the animals, amongst the filth, amongst the things that's going on, that there was no one there to wrap her baby. If anyone has gone through childbirth, again, we looked at the Christmas time, how exhausted she would have been, particularly because it's her first baby, particularly because she was a virgin. And the pain and the agony and the hours of labor that probably would have endured. And yet there wasn't even one person at her bedside, one family member, one relative. 
any of Joseph's family. No one was there. According to scripture, it says that she had to wrap the baby in swaddling clothes and that she led him in a manger or stall. This is the beginning of Mary's life. And for the next 30 years, they're going to have people look upon her as if to say, if he is the Messiah, Mary, because you so-called got pregnant by the Holy Spirit, where's the evidence? Where's the truth? Show us something. We've seen nothing. Because are, are the people of Nazareth not astonished when we just read when Jesus comes back? Who is this? Where did he get his mighty words? Is this not the carpenter's kid who I used to go down to get some stuff made and was beside Joseph? Is his brothers not Simon, Judas, James, sisters and so on? How is this possible? And Mary has clung to the truth, has clung to the fact that she has been ostracized. She's clung to the fact that one day she was going to have to see her son hang upon a cross. And here she is at the foot of the cross. She can't recognize her son. Her husband is dead. Her sons and her daughters are not there. Her family has left her. Here's the truth finally out. Everybody in Nazareth will be saying, it's finally come to light the lies that she's been living. It's false. It's phony. It's fake. I pity her. Imagine clinging to her faith so much, even if her kids didn't believe, even if her kids hated her, she still would be not shaken. Even if she had to have lived as a widow, so to speak, with no husband, she was willing to do it. And then we come back and put ourselves in the shoes of Mary. And how quick we are to feel persecuted if your friends or your family members think you're crazy for adhering to scripture. How we feel greatly persecuted if our wife or our husband thinks that we're crazy because we believe the gospel, we believe in eternity, we believe in everlasting life, we believe in regeneration, we believe in heaven, and we believe in hell. You're crazy. And they want nothing to do with you. And how quick Christians become very watery. Because they're afraid of losing all the stuff. They're afraid of losing family. They're afraid of losing friends. What we have is a byproduct of Christianity. Which is a so-called Christian. That does the things of the world. That lives in the things of the world. That acts in the things of the world. And there's no distinguishing difference. And here we have Mary who we don't even talk about. In the so-called reformed church. Or if you want to label yourself as that. Not that we are Protestants. But in the Protestant church. We don't talk about Mary. Because we're afraid of venturing into Catholicism. And here we have Mary who is the epitome of the gospel and yet how often do we read about it and say that's what it means to be a true authentic follower of Christ take my husband give me Jesus take my friends give me Jesus take my own self-worth take the fact that people may look at me as nothing or even as a whore I still desire Jesus even to the point of the cross where you'd have to watch your own son So grotesquely through the things he went through. He was unrecognizable. Watching people spit on him. Watching people flog him. Watching them mock him. Watching him doing all the things that he went through. Watching her stand there with no one to look after her. Jesus knew once he died there would be nobody left. The sons weren't going to take her in. We want nothing to do with you. 
Because you've never told us who the true father is of that so-called Messiah who's hanging there, who the high priest has said, and all the Pharisees have said, and the scribes have rightly said that he is a false, fake blasphemer. You going to tell us now, Mum, who he, his dad really is? That's the life Mary lived for the gospel. That's the life Mary lived and she sung about it in the beginning of Luke and counted it all joy because she saw the fact that she needed a saviour and she sings about it and says about the saviour that Jesus is and how she understood the fact that she needs saved. So when we come to this passage and we read whenever he says, woman, behold your son, Jesus looks upon John, his cousin, and says, you now are going to have to be her son. Do you know why? Because she's given it all up for me. She would not back down. She would not walk away from scripture. She would not, in acts of love, even to her own children, not be at the cross because she knows the truth. She didn't know at the stage that her son would go on to write the book of James. She didn't know at the stage that her, that her sons would go on to be disciples of Christ. All she knew is she was losing everything. Maybe she didn't even understand exactly what was going on. As she saw Jesus hang there. Maybe she was waiting for a miracle. Maybe she was waiting for him to come off. Maybe she was waiting for him finally to reveal himself. But she knows that she's alone. And we put that costing up against the gospel that you've heard. And I have to come to you today like I did myself this week when I looked at that. And said, what is it that I'm more afraid of losing? Christ or friends? What is it that I'm more afraid of losing? Even my own family or Christ? What is it that I'm afraid of losing? The fact that I could be homeless and have no one to care for me or any job. Or is it more valuable to have Christ? That's the gospel. That's what it comes down to. Do you want to pick his way or the world way? Do you want to pick his way or a religious way? Guy, that's too hard. Surely this isn't the same for everybody. Why is it that we think that our gospel can be more palatable or more watered down to just say a prayer? And we'll go to countries where they've never heard the word of Jesus preached. And we'll tell them that he's the greatest treasure. We'll tell them how wonderful he is. We'll tell them how much joy we get from him. And that they need to accept him. Knowing that if they do, they could be in exactly the same shoes as Mary. Stoned. Possibly beaten. Ostracized from her family, never to see her sons or daughters again. Or that if she accepts the gospel and she gives it like she's told to and we're all told to make disciples, that she could actually give it to one of her sons and see her son go through what she watched, which is persecution. How many mothers, whenever they saw their sons being beheaded by ISIS on that beach, regretted raising up their kids in the way of the gospel? I guarantee you none. But yet they would have to go through the pain that Mary faced. They'd have to go through the suffering that Mary faced. How many mothers want to give your kids in Sunday school the gospel knowing that they're going to go in to school and not be able to indulge in the cultural things that the other kids indulge in? How many mothers want to see their teenage daughters or teenage sons sit at 18, 19 or 20 when all their friends are going to the Bellman and all their friends are going out clubbing and all their friends are drinking and all their friends are doing these things and you get to watch them sit there alone. That's the gospel. That's the truth. How many of us want to watch our sons and daughters strive for holiness and purity? The Bible says we have wife and we have sister. There's nothing in between. 
How many of us want to see our kids raised that way? That they may not have a date to go to. They may not have someone to go to the formal with or the prom with or whatever the name is. Because they want to strive for holiness. And they want to be faithful in praying for another husband or another wife who's striving for exactly the same thing. So when they walk up an aisle in church, the way that marriage is meant to be, that they've kept themselves. Because they want to honor God. Does that mean if they haven't kept themselves, they're going to be cast away? No, they're covered in grace all the more, yes. But where is all of us striving for the purity and to see the gospel as important as Mary did? To come away from churches that don't preach this? Or is it simply enough that we don't care what church our kids go to? Because most of the churches now, there isn't very many young people in Harvest City Church. Why? Because there isn't a band up here playing electrified music and a gospel that says that you can, you can date whoever you want, holiday with whatever you want, live with this person, do this, wear that, eat that, watch all the things that the world has to do, but just say a prayer. That's the gospel that's popular. And I'll be honest, I would love to eat that gospel too, but it's not a real gospel. It leads you to hell. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life and very few will find it. And very few people desire to live a life like Mary. And like the apostles. Where are the apostles at this stage? Why is John the only one there? Because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Why can't Christians walk in the manner worthy of their calling? Because if you're not truly born again and you don't truly have the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. Where's Peter? The rock. He's not at the cross. He's sitting beside a fire somewhere saying he doesn't even believe in Jesus. Why? Because he hasn't yet received the gift of the Holy Spirit. I can't do this on my own. There's people in the world today that say do a five-step program, a seven-step program. It's going to get you out of lust. It's going to get you out of addictions. It's going to make you have a better life. It won't work because it doesn't work. These men saw God's miracles at their eyes level. They saw Jesus walk on water. They saw him do all these amazing things, living people from the dead. And yet at the point of a little bit of persecution, they said, I don't know the man. John who knew the heartbeat of God, who leaned on Jesus' chest, has nowhere to go. Maybe that's you today. Maybe your friends who are so-called Christians are more like Peter at this stage, and they're openly renouncing Christ by their actions. Maybe they're telling you that it's okay as a Christian to do the things that the Bible contradicts. And you can either go and you can sit with them at firesides and you can renounce the truth of the word. You can renounce the costing because that's where all the other Christians are. Or you can do what John did. I've got nowhere else to go apart from I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to hold fast to the cross. I'm going to go to the feet of him that I know when I heard his heartbeat. I'm going to run away from everywhere else that everyone else is scattering to. I'm not with James. I'm not with anybody else. I'm not with Matthew. I'm just going to be with Jesus because I know he's real and he's authentic. And I know also that whenever I get there, there's going to be a load of old ladies there. You go to most real prayer meetings and churches today. You know what they're full of? Little old ladies. Why? Because they know where the treasure is. They know where the good portion is. They know where to go. Just like Mary Magdalene and was sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to what he had to say. She's right at the feet of Jesus at this stage. Where's all the men? They've ran away. Because they do not yet have the Holy Spirit. 
Just because your friend we looked at is crying over Jesus. Just because your friend is singing songs about Jesus. Just because your friend confesses to be a Christian. Ask yourself by the fruits of their life. Do they have the Holy Spirit? Because it's only by the Holy Spirit that we will know who they are. And if they are not of us, come out from them. Even if it means you lose your whole friend circle. Even if it means you're the most unpopular person at school. The most unpopular person at your work. If you have to leave a church and go to another one. Whatever it is. Get away from it. Stop touching the unclean things. I received a text message. An amazing text message yesterday. Let's start praying that the Holy Spirit will hijack adverts. Did anybody last night watch Axfa? Or the Britain's Got Talent. I went to the Chinese. It was on. I saw a batch of commercials that was full of debauchery. A man in a yogurt commercial who's completely naked, running around. This is normative. I saw an advert for some sort of a housewife thing, Chelsea Housewives, that would have took the light from your eyes in pornography. That's on TV and we think it's normative and we're eating it down as Christians and we have to come away from it and turn from it and say, that's unclean. I'm not going to waste my life watching TV with all that stuff in it. Because no matter what you're watching, the adverts are there. There was adverts for women's makeup. There was adverts. You have to look this way. You have to be a certain size. You have to dress a certain way. Another advert that I saw was a woman whose husband was coming into the driveway with a bunch of flowers. I haven't watched TV in a long time. I'm new to adverts. I have a bunch of flowers. And he comes up and they're saying, hey, your husband's got flowers. And she walks over very calmly and points a picture on her, t- on her fridge that said, I just made sure he saw this. And it was mommy playing tennis with mommy's tennis friend with a six pack and a chest. That's the gospel? That's what you're letting into our minds. Well said, who texts me that text message? And we have to come to ourselves this morning and come to the cross and say, what does it mean to you? Is this a free lifestyle to live whatever way you want to live with other so-called Christians? Or is this the enablement of receiving the Holy Spirit? I know that this isn't a popular message because the problem is with this message, it convicts me. So if it convicts me, it convicts all of us. What is the gospel? Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure in your life. Heaven is real and hell is real. And we cannot afford to hang out or associate with people that think that the gospel is a license to sin. When people say, show me in the word where it says this. Show me in the word where it says that. Because I want to get as close as I possibly can to the gates of hell without getting burnt. That's the gospel age we live in. Show me exactly where the line is so I can stay right here. Rather than saying, get me away from everything to do with these people. Get me away from as close to hell as I am. I want to know for certainty that I am heaven bound. If you come to membership next week, we as Harvest City Church will not marry you if you're not a member. What does it mean to be a member? You've got to be a Christian. We will not bury you if you're not a Christian. Why? Why would I blaspheme The church of God by bringing in somebody who doesn't believe in God. Who doesn't have time for God. And they're going to get their family don't believe to sing songs about God to God. And it's blasphemous. Why would I marry somebody who isn't a Christian. Who's going to walk up this aisle with me. And enter into the throne room of the Lord. And make vows towards a God they don't believe in. With their family members there. And sing songs and leave. And go and have a party. And do all kinds of debauchery at that party. No thanks. 
Go get married at the city hotel. Go get buried up the road there. If you're a Christian, come here and let's celebrate the fact that you're going home. Let's celebrate the fact that even if you had cancer, you stayed true to the Lord. Let's celebrate the fact that even if you lost your family, you stayed true. Let's celebrate the fact that if your son or daughter got killed because of Christ, they're heading home. Let's sing hallelujah. Let's get excited. Rather than having to bring people in and try to find a little tiny, well, he might have said something at the very last second. He may not have, and if he hasn't, he's in hell. That's the gospel that Mary knows, and we're called to know. There's sanctification, there's maturity in that, but we have to realize that that's the truth of the Lord. There's nothing in between. Too many people want to come to us who hold fast to the scriptures and say, this is what we're called to be. You're too extreme. It's not loving. No, it's not loving to tell somebody who is in sin that they're not in sin and they're not convicted and they're going to stand before a holy, righteous God and may actually be told, depart from me, I never knew you. There's churches full of people like that today. Matthew 7, 21, did we not prophesy in your name? There's churches that are all about prophecy. Do we not cast out demons or casting out demons? Do we not do many good works? Yes, but you did not know me. Nor my law, nor my word, nor did you desire it. Does that mean that grace isn't involved, Gary? Of course it is. But when are we going to get to the stage where we start wrestling and we start fighting and we start laboring and we start holding each other accountable? Just say, brother, do you realize what you're doing? I've even got to the stage, and this is just me, not for the church, where I don't even know if I can even go to a wedding anymore that isn't a Christian wedding. I was at the last one and nearly got up and started shouting out in the middle of the church because the woman who was getting married was an atheist. Dressed in white in the middle of a church making vows to a God she didn't believe. And I was saying, if you could only understand the amount of condemnation that you're heaping upon yourself as you stand up there before a holy, righteous God who you don't even believe in. And make vows that you don't really believe are true. And then you're going to take everybody. You're going to go tonight and have a wild party. And do all kinds of different things at it. Rather than saying, I want to get married. And it's all about the wedding day. It's about the church. The wedding day now is about the dress, the flowers and the after party. The world has hijacked the church. The world has hijacked Christianity. Put on TBN, you'll hear it. Joel Osteen. Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, Kefo Dollar, Bethel, Hillsong, all these people, they're not preaching an authentic gospel. It might look like Christ, it might act like Christ, but look at their fruit. If you're dating here today and you're young, get around authentic Christian believers. That's why the older women, you're meant to be teaching the younger. That's why the older men are meant to be discipling the younger. Don't allow ourselves to go down a road of just doing what is culturally Christian. Let us read this word and ask ourselves, why is it that I am sitting here on a Saturday night with no friends and nowhere to go? I feel for any teenager who's there or in their 20s. Why am I sitting here? Because I'm going to heaven and Jesus Christ's word's more important. Igor said at 40 years old. He kept himself as a virgin for 40 years, praying night and day continually for a wife who was godly, and he found one who did exactly the same thing. It's possible in this day and age. And even if you haven't done it, it doesn't matter what you did up to yesterday, it matters what we do today. 
From now on, God, I'm going to strive for that. Thank you for the grace that my past is clean. Thank you for the grace that that has changed. I'm not going to go to where the world is going. Because there's coming a day, I believe there's coming a day whenever many, many pastors are going to have to give an account because it's me. This is why we have a membership. We're going to look at it. Because apparently I and the elders are held responsible for any person in this church and how you live your life. If I come to you and I speak to you, why am I doing it? Because I'm going to give an account. As Paul says, your blood is not in my hands because I told you the gospel thoroughly. I have more fear of standing before God than I have of you leaving this church. I have more fear of standing before God than I do of you not agreeing. I have more fear also of where you are going or where I am going. Least we drift away from the truth, Hebrews 2. Let's pay closer attention to what Christ said, least we drift away. Hebrews, if we continue, if we go on sinning deliberately, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. We see it over and over and over again. Wake up, Christians. Wake up, church. Do you see Jesus Christ as the ultimate treasure in your life? You lose your job form, you lose your family form, you lose everything for him. Mary knew it, and she had to walk it. The apostles knew it, and they had to walk it. Peter, when he was going to be crucified, didn't even see himself worthy to hang on a cross like Jesus said, turn upside down. Andrew, crucified, and for two days he preached the gospel to every single person walking past. All the disciples, James, thrown off the roof of the temple and beaten with clubs. Why? All he would have had to say was, yeah, you're right. Stephen, stoned, Paul, beheaded. These people give their life for Christ. You might not be called to give your physical life, but we're called to give our life day to day. We die to self, we listen to his word, and we see Jesus more important than any cultural thing. Amen? Amen. Is that not the gospel we want to hear? Do we not want brothers and sisters around us that want to do exactly the same thing and say, yeah, this is difficult, this is really hard, but that's why we come to worship, because he gives us grace, and he's patient in getting us there. But let's not move what we're called to be back so we can feel more righteous and we can feel more holy or we can fill more seats in this church. If we want to know how do you reach your friends with the gospel, the gospel of Mark says that a sower went out to sow seed. He scatters the seed and he goes to bed. The next morning when he wakes up, he does not know why. He doesn't understand. But the seed has grown. It does not say you have to have a certain type of designer sewing bag. It does not say you have to have music on. It does not say you have to have designer t-shirts or look trendy for seeds to grow. It says simply cast the word and you won't even know why your friends or your family members grow and turn and believe in Christ. And that's what it means to give the gospel. Let's pray.